Welcome to First Hamilton CRC Sermon Podcast. My name is Chris Schoon. I serve as the lead pastor here at First Hamilton. We are delighted that you are listening in. We hope and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you as you seek to know and follow Jesus Christ. Good morning, my name is Yvette Schatt, and I will be reading our scripture passage this morning. We will be reading John chapter 3, verses 1 to 30, which can be found on page uh, 1649 in your pew Bibles. I've been corrected. We're actually going to read John chapter 4. Jesus talks to a woman at the well. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judah and went back once again to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. 
for salvation is from the Jews. Yet his time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Yvette. Uh, there, pastors are not perfect. So just in case you were thinking that we were. Because that was my fault. So thank you for being so flexible. Um, so Advent, that's the season that we're in, and, and it's a season of anticipation and longing. And, and this year, uh, for Advent at First Hamilton, we're working through the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And uh, in different ways, before the, the sermon, we're, we're, we're looking at this hymn, and so that today we, we're doing it instrumentally. Uh, and, and so we didn't get a chance to, to sing through the second verse, which is what uh, we're focusing on this morning. Uh, but the second verse goes something like this. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And last week, um, Pastor Chris talked about how, how we are released from our fears and sins in Jesus Christ. And that's part of our longing in Advent is to be released from the specific fears and sins that, that we have in, in each one of us. What are we afraid of? What, what sin are, are we caught up in that we desire God to release us from? And, and he does send us Jesus who, who saves us from our sin and gives us grace. And that's, that was last week. That was verse one in this hymn. And this week we're focusing on joy. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. You know, wouldn't that be nice, hey? Joy. You know, joy is something that we, we throw, throw around maybe a little bit too liberally. You know, what, what does it mean to have a joyful heart? And, and, and at Christmas time especially, we think of joy, right? And, and a season that is so full of all sorts of things, you think it would be a season that would fill us with joy. You know, all the gifts, all the eating, all the family, right? All, all this, this opportunity where, where we have so much abundance here in, in, in our lives, and, and yet it often doesn't lead to the same joy that we expect it to. And one of my friends uh, that I was talking to this week who was a little bit down on the Christmas season said, said this, and I, and I thought it was uh, something I want to share with you. He said, at Christmas, we eat too much, we drive too much, we spend too much, and we drink too much, right? It does tend to be a season of overindulgence, isn't it? 
And, and with all this overindulgence, you'd think that it would lead us to a, a sort of lasting joy that would remain with us for at least a few months, right? But, but there's this, this term to describe the month of January, and that is the Christmas hangover, isn't it? Where we're burned out from family, we're burned out from, from eating too much, we're burned out from spending a lot on gifts. The month of January, there's a, there's a rise in credit card debt after Christmas. And, and gym memberships go through the roof in January from, from all the things that people have been eating. January is, is a month that, that brings us back down to reality and says to us, maybe, maybe Christmas can't give us that joy that we want it to with all the things that we fill it with. But we sing in this hymn, right? The last line of, ver line of this verse is, uh, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And that's talking about Christmas. That's talking about Jesus. And, and I'm here this morning, and, and I'm telling you that this is true, that Christmas is a season that fills us with joy, but not in the things, not in the things, but in Jesus himself, a man who came down and became like us. You know, in every way, he was human, fully human, fully God, and he lived the life we should have, died the death we deserve, so that in him, we can have a relationship with God, our Father, and be filled with this joy. And so I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm able to preach to you good news this morning, in this Christmas season, that for a lot of reasons, lacks joy because of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to talk about um, how this works, how we can be filled with joy, not just this Christmas season, but throughout the whole year under three points. First, what is joy? Second, the search for joy. And third, the secret to joy. What is joy? The search for joy, the secret to joy to a joyful heart. So first, what is joy? Well, joy is an emotion. Joy is a feeling of, of, of happiness, of satisfaction. But in the English language, we have generally two different words that we use to describe this type of, you know, satisfaction or excitement or, or you know, and that's, that's happiness and joy. Right? And we often get these two confused. And so what I want to do with, with, with this this morning is try to pull these apart so we can see them for what they are, what the difference is between joy and happiness. Okay, so I want you to sit back in your pew, get comfortable. I mean that, get comfortable. Close your eyes and go to your happy place. I see some people with your eyes open. I don't know, are you, are you too cool to do this? Close your eyes, picture your happy place. You got it? All right. Now, for, you can open your eyes again. Now, for most of us, our happy place is it, it's something in the past, isn't it? Put up your hand if it was something in the past. Put up your hand if it's something in the future. A few of you. Wow, you're, you're good. Because happiness is generally located in a moment, in an experience, right? We, that's why we were told to go to our happy place. Actually, when Tracy and I were going through uh, prenatal classes, uh, they, they taught us, especially the women, when, when they're in labor, to go to a happy place, 
because it makes it easier to go through the pain when we can find ourselves in a time when we're happy, when we're satisfied. But we call this, we call this happiness, right? It's, it's most of the time it's located in an experience based on a circumstance. It's a feeling that comes and goes. That's why we have to go to that place, right? But joy is different. Joy is a different level of happiness. Joy is is not an experience. Joy is a posture. It's a state of being. Joy is resilient. Right? It's not based upon external circumstances. This is, joy is what led the Apostle Paul, for example, to sing hymns in prison. Right? Sing joyfully in prison. Those two don't go together, but they do with joy. This joy is not based on circumstance. It's resilient, and it's something that we carry with us wherever we go. Joy is also the posture that, that Jesus had. When in uh, the, the book of Hebrews, it says that for the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. Was the cross happy for Jesus? No, but it was joyful because it, was a, it led to our salvation. So he was able to endure it with joy. And here's the kicker. Our hearts are wired for joy. We long for joy. It's what, it's what being human, we are, we are created to be filled with joy. It's, it's what our hearts desire. And so we will be searching for joy any way we can. So that leads us to our second point, the search for joy. Because as we turn to this passage in front of us, we see a woman who who is just like us. She is on a search for joy. Except for her, the search has led her down a difficult path. So the text tells us that when Jesus was tired from his journey through Samaria, he sat down at a well at around noon, so in the hot sun, and a woman came to draw some water. And now to us reading this text, that doesn't seem strange. But if we put on our first century glasses and read it through those lenses, that is not something that was normally done. Women normally went to draw water early in the morning, in the cool of the day. And not only did they go early in the morning, but they also would go in groups. Drawing water was a communal event. But not for this woman. This woman was going at noon in in the hottest part of the day alone to draw water. Why was this? Well, she was trying to avoid the other people, or they wouldn't go with her, one or the other. Why was that? Because of her. she was a social outcast. And, she, and we learn later in the passage why she was a social outcast, and that was because of her marital situation. Right? When Jesus asked her the question, go get your husband, and she replies, I have no husband, then Jesus says, that's right, you've had, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What's going on there is, is Jesus is digging into her life and discovering that, that she, a social outcast, because she has been married to five different people. It was rabbinic uh, opinion, the, the opinion of rabbis in that day, who, who were the ones who approved divorces. They, they, they would only allow for three, max, 
and no such thing as common law relationships like what this woman is living in right now. And so for this reason, she is showing up at the well at noon alone. And she has been completely outside of society. This, the question, though, that I think this forces us to come to, come to as we see this Samaritan woman at the well at noon is, is what led her to get to the point of being a social outcast. Right? Why, if she knew that, that you know, it, was, it, would, it would lead her to be an outcast, why did she go down this road in her relationship with men? It was because she has been searching for joy and coming up empty. She was searching for joy and coming up empty. I can imagine that every time that she entered into a marriage, she thought to herself, you know, this is it. Finally, I have found the man who will give me what I need, joy, acceptance, satisfaction, right? And then, and then for a few months or years, that's the case, right? The honeymoon stage. But then after the, the honeymoon stage and she's left picking up the, the pieces of another marriage, moving on to the next man. If only this will satisfy my longing for acceptance, for satisfaction, and the cycle continues. Five marriages later, and she now finds herself at the well alone at noon. You know, this, this woman, though, is not unlike us. Right? Her search for lasting joy mirrors that of ours, too. Right? You know, if I only had this much money in my bank account, if I only had this job promotion, if I only was, was, was driving this car and living in this neighborhood, then I'll know that I've made it. I've arrived. Then I'll have what I need to live a posture of joy, lasting joy. In 20, 2018, um, two people who by all worldly accounts to us, we would look at them and say, they have arrived. They've got it. Two people were Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Right? And these, these two people uh, had their lives ended th this year. They passed away this year from suicide. And our hearts ache when we hear this, right? And, and I don't bring this, these two people up uh, to condemn them. I don't bring them up to pretend the reason, that I know the reason for why they did what they did. But, but, but I bring these two people up because what they show us is that we can't look at status. We can't look at standing in society and think that that's what will get us to joy. We can't do it. You know, I wonder if we could talk to Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain if, if, and, and if they would tell us, you know, that wasn't the answer either. Right? The people at the top are still searching too. And in fact, in, in John's gospel, the, the, the chapter beforehand, he, he's Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, right? He's a wealthy aristocrat. And then 
he tells Nicodemus the same thing that he's telling the Samaritan woman. You need to be born again, he says to Nicodemus. You need to find me. Same thing he says to the Samaritan woman. This is why Jim Carrey, the actor, says, I wish everyone could become rich and famous so that they know that being rich and famous is not the answer. This is an age-old search. And it goes even back as far as the Garden of Eden. You know, when Adam and Eve saw the fruit of the tree that God told them, don't eat from, and, and they did, uh, what God ended up banishing them from the garden. Right? And, and, you know, they, they looked at that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and said, you know, if we only, if we eat this, then we'll have arrived. Then we'll have it. Then we'll become like God. Right? That, that's, that's what it is to, to truly be filled with, with joy. And, but then when God banishes them from the garden, he says this, he says this to them, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it forever, and eat it and live forever. In other words, God knew that the first tree they ate from wasn't going to satisfy them. Their search for joy hadn't ended. And so this, this gets us to our third point. Well, what is the secret to a joyful heart? As soon as Jesus brings up this uh, living water analogy, this, this begins a conversation with the Samaritan woman, and she begins to be utterly confused. Jesus is trying to communicate with her that, that the water she is drinking, which is not literal water, but it represents you know, her thirst for approval, her thirst for satisfaction, that she's, she's trying to satisfy her thirst with the approval of the men in her life, her thirst for, for men to be the source of her validating feeling is not going to do it for her. And it will continue to lead her actually further away from joy. Jesus bringing up this analogy of living water actually points us back into the scriptures and and to Ezekiel 36, a passage where uh, God is talking through Ezekiel and he he says this to the Israelites. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. See, this prophecy in Ezekiel pointed forward to a time when God would save the people from their sin, save the people from their enemies by giving them this, this water, by sprinkling this water on them. And Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman here that I am this water. I am this gift of God that, that was prophesied about long ago. And, and as, as this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman continues and, and, and picks up speed, speed, Jesus digs deeper and deeper into her life. Right? He asks questions about her, and, and then she tries to dodge them. You know, Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband, which is a half answer to what the actual truth is. And then, and then when Jesus tells her about her life, that she's had five husbands, that then she says to him, you know, okay, I got a theological question for you, and, and asks him about where the true place of worship 
is, which was uh, a place of disagreement between the Samaritans and the Jews. But as this conversation is going between the Samaritan woman and, and Jesus, eventually she begins to realize who is talking to her. Because in those days, men didn't talk to women. And Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And rabbis didn't talk to social outcasts. And as, she's as Jesus is talking to this woman, she's realizing that this, that this man actually knows me. And he's still talking to me. This man knows everything about me. And he's still offering me this living water. This would have been crazy in this day, but it's not crazy with Jesus. Because Jesus is different. And for her, at some point it clicked. At some point she realized this man fully knows me. He knows all the, the dirty, broken, dark places in my life. And he loves me still. And that is when she broke through. That is when she flipped from looking for her sense of approval in men. Is that the way to find joy? And finding it in Jesus. And how do we know? Is because she went right back into the town and said to all the people, all her neighbors who she was trying to avoid by going to the well at noon, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And she discovers the secret to a joyful heart. And that is a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus is the only person who actually truly knows us, who knows everything about us, more actually than you know yourself, and loves us more deeply than we could ever imagine. And how do we know this? Is because he went to the cross for us. He went to the cross because of his love for us. On the cross, Jesus says to us, I know you, Hayden. I know everything about you. I know your brokenness. I know your, your, the darkness that's inside of you, but, but I love you. And I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to die for you. Not despite your sin, but because of your sin. So where are you at in your search for joy? Are you finding it in Christ? How do we actually do that anyway? Well, it begins with trusting him. With trusting him with our lives. Like the, the woman at the well, as soon as she, she found Jesus and, and, and saw him as the source of acceptance with her, that led her to be changed. And it'll change everything for you too. This is the same relationship with God that Paul the Apostle had that we read about in the New Testament. And this is what led him to, to be joyful in all circumstances by trusting in God despite what's going on around him. He says this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in every situation 
whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying that in all things, I can be content because my joy is not dependent on circumstances around me. My joy is dependent on how my God sees me and nothing can take away his love for me. That is a sure thing in the cross. Is Jesus the joy of your heart? That's the question in the Advent devotional that we're working through for Advent uh, season. This, this week, the question that we're going to be reflecting on as a congregation is, is Jesus the joy of my heart? Jobs may be lost. Stock markets may crash. Wars may break out. All happiness and comfort may be lost, but nothing can take away the lasting joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and that your future is secure in him. Are you searching for joy or have you found it in Jesus? He's waiting with arms open wide. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us living water, that you came to earth and lived the life we should have died the death we deserved so that you could give us this living water and this grace. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our eyes to uh, the places in, in our lives where we're not trusting you, that we're trusting our bank accounts, where we're trusting our jobs, where we're trusting our relationships. Lord, help us to find our strength and joy only in you. Lord, would you send your spirit to enable us to do this? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.